This is Brian from Philadelphia at the Gallifrey One Convention. This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, we ask for your feedback, you send us your feedback. We go through the DWP mailbag. Okay, Trev, look, you're just not explaining it well enough. I understand the concept of rugby, okay, but Australian rules football. I mean, what precisely is different apart from they, it seems to be, it seems to go on for hours. You kick the ball from one guy to another. You don't have to worry about forward passes or playing the ball forward. You just kick it round. The ball keeps moving. The game flows. People don't get bored. Okay, two things. First of all, a ball is usually spherical. It's not spherical, is it? This is this is an egg shape. And secondly, what you're saying is that all of the rules in rugby don't actually apply. So it is Aussie no rules football. Yeah, well, just like the rules of cricket don't apply to rugby union or AFL either, but that doesn't make it an invalid sport, James. Now, come on. Well, no, it does actually, because I can't stay in cricket, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, I want to know what the point oh, James, of AFL I is. Wanna, I don't I, understand. Look, we're here to read feedback, mate. Oh, God. It, that's what the listeners have downloaded this for. That's yes. why they've brought it up on their iTunes account. They want to listen and okay. hear the feedback from our listeners, please. Can we stop talking about AFL? <laughs> Do we have any feedback on sport? Um, no, we don't. Well, I'm not interested then, sorry. Do we need to wait for a couple of minutes for some to come in? Or <laughs> No, come on then, let's start talking about Doctor Who. You can explain the nuances of this fine game that you said is played by angels in heaven, I think. Anyway, never mind. Yeah, well, true, true. Maybe that can be a special podcast we can release next week. The finer points of AFL from a Doctor Who perspective. That would be good. That would be good. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll get thousands of downloads out of that, yes. On a serious note, listeners... We have got some wonderful feedback from you. We've got a couple of pieces of audio, the first of which is from Stephen in Straban in Northern Ireland. Hi, podcasters. First of all, can I just say how much I enjoy your podcast? I used to be an avid follower of the old DWO podcast. I never thought that anyone could supplant Serp and Paul. When you guys took over, it took me a while to get used to the new team, but now I really appreciate your thoughtful discussions. I tend to side with Tom most of the time, though. I have to say that I've tried to follow the current DWO podcast, but I just can't listen to it. You, closely followed by Radio Free Scarrow and the Two Minute Time Lord, are the apogee of Doctor Who podcasting for me. Anyway, on the 50th anniversary issue, in my heart, like many fans, I would love to see all the Doctors together in an episode. But Tempest Fugit, some are gone and others are not the same, and it would seem impossible. Or would it? Does anyone remember the Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode Trials and Tribulations or the film Forrest Gump? They mixed past and present. The same technique put Matt Smith in a scene with Laurel and Hardy in The Day of the Moon 
Take a look at Babel Colours, The Ten Doctors on YouTube, and his wonderful colorizations of old Doctor Who clips. The technology is all available. I would love to see an anniversary episode in which Matt visits his former selves as they were by using these techniques. Surely a plotline could be woven in which he has to obtain something from each of his former incarnations. Anyway, keep up the podcasting. All your, all the best. Stephen Burkett, Straban, Northern Ireland. Well, thanks, Steve, for your feedback. I'm not sure about the whole idea of siding with Tom. There's just a few too many people siding with Tom that's starting to sound like a bit of a cult as far as I'm mm, concerned. Mm. But um, I'm, I'm sure Tom will be chuffed to hear that when he hears this, that um, you know he has one more follower to his uh, many brethren. But, um, yeah, thank you for your very kind comments about the uh, podcast. We love doing it. We love bringing it to you. And, uh, you know, we, we hope to be here for a very long time. But uh, you, you made mention there about um, an idea for the 50th anniversary. And, and that's kind of an idea that's been bouncing around in my head for a long time too, to try and somehow digitally insert Doctors into like old adventures, try and have some sort of classic series slash new series team up. Um, like, as you say, very similar to what they did in Day of the Moon where they put Matt Smith in the uh, Laura and the Hardy clip, which, which I thought worked really, really well. If they can do that sort of thing, then... Uh, why can't they insert Matt Smith, I don't know, somewhere in the Aztecs, for example? Oh, I think they probably could if it was all black and white. Um, and I think that's the, that's the problem. If, if they were to do a true multi-doctor story uh, that was a long story from, you know, a 45-minute to an hour episode, then you couldn't just rely on that whenever there was a first or second doctor appearance um i mean stephen does mention that they managed to do some colorization um on a youtube video um from someone called babel color and yeah i, I think that's okay if it's a kind of amateur professional semi well i say professional it's semi-professional i don't think they'd be able to use the same technique to bring about a brand new tv program in 2013 so I love the idea of mixing up eras uh, where technology allows, but I wonder just how advanced existing technology is to, to pull that off successfully. It's interesting too, Stephen does make mention of that DS9 um, story. Mm. I think it's called um, Trials and Tribulations, for example, which has the DS9 crew um, in the classic Trek episode, Trouble with Tribbles. That's right. Now, I think that works because it's a purely comedic episode. If, if anyone's ever seen it, basically the DS9 crew um, are observing a lot of what's going on during that classic series story. There's not a lot or very, very little interaction with the classic series crew. Of, of, of course, there can't be because the story originally wasn't created like that. So while I love the idea, I'm really struggling to try and think of a classic series story that would benefit, other than in a purely observing or comedic way, yeah. of the insertion of the current TARDIS crew, because it, it would be virtually impossible, I think, to have them put into a story and have any effect on it in any meaningful way other than for you know purely novelty value. I agree, and I think the only one they could do it with realistically is the five Doctors, because mm. you've got four of the five in colour yes. there. The quality of the five Doctors clearly is um, is much much higher than some of the sixties Doctor Who featuring um, the first and second Doctor. But I I all, I do think it's about ideas. I mean, let let me put that into um, um, a practical example for you, Trev. What would you prefer? Would you like to see, let's say, a similar kind of attempt uh, to Trials and Tribulations uh, featuring? 
I don't know, David Tennant, Chris Eccleston watching Patrick Troughton, or would you prefer Paul McGann to come back for a full episode? <laughs> well, that's the kind of decisions they'll be, they'll well, be making. Well, true, true. I mean, it's... It, it's a bit of an unfair choice. I mean, I, I personally would love McGann to come back and do more televised Doctor Who. Yeah. So definitely I would prefer to see that rather than some form of artificial insertion into a classic series story. Mm. And, and I think for a lot of Doctor Who fans too, it may even cheapen the original story a little bit that many people may consider the story that they try and homage or modify as as a, a some sort of holy shrine perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, no, I and, think you're right. And I think too, if they're going to do it properly, if if they were to insert current cast into a classic series one, they'd have to choose a story that was quite, I suppose, prominent to start with, like a very well-known Dalek story, for example, or one of the more um, highly regarded classic series stories, like Case of Androzani or the Three Doctors or Five Doctors. So there's the greater chance there, I think, that you you know you may annoy as many fans as you will please by doing that sort of homage. No, I agree. I mean, did you ever read uh, Terence Dick's The Nine Doctors? You're talking about The Eight Doctors? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I've never read that, but I've read one Terry did called The Eight Doctors. <laughs> You're going to keep that in, aren't you, you, you scoundrel? Apart from it not being a very good book, it's... Um, <laughs> Yes. It's uh, it, it's unfortunate that it tries to do what the Five Doctors does, but much much worse. Well, I I think it goes beyond that, and I think the Five Doctors was was a superb, fantastic story um, compared to to the Eight Doctors. But um, <laughs> but that really was what you've just described. It was later Doctors, or it was the Eighth Doctor specifically, revisiting classic stories and just taking a you know a non invasive part in a particular scene. And yeah, mm. it was it was kind of fun as the reader trying to figure out which story they'd revisited. But in all honesty, they, they did kind of colour the memory of the original story just a little bit, only as you were reading it um, uh, for the reader. But it, it didn't really work for me. And it, it pains me to say anything that Terence Dix uh, has done, you know, didn't really work. But... Um, if, if they try and do something similar to that under the banner of celebration, then I think you'll find, yeah, it's really going to annoy a lot of people. But I, I don't think they would actually reinsert, um, or, or I should say insert, um, a ninth, tenth or eleventh Doctor into the whole of a classic episode, because I just can't see how that would work. I think they'd pick scenes up, string them together, record some linking bits featuring new Doctors, and um, just play play it out that way for an an hour or so. Um, the the real kind of thing that people want to see is the last few Doctors together. I think because you can record mm. some brand new scenes, assuming Eccleston is persuaded if a big enough paycheck is dangled in front of him. Um, then I I think there's no point in trying to revisit other, you know, new Who eras. You may as well just record some brand new stuff. It would probably be cheaper. And, yeah. Um, no, I let's let's just see. Maybe they'll do a combination of the two, Trev. You know, not sure. No, I, I I think from a fan perspective, the most we can really hope for from any 50th anniversary season would be maybe something to do with the time war. That I, I think that would be my ultimate mm. wish that um, somehow or some way we would see the transition from 
the McGann doctor to the Eccleston doctor. Yeah. And, and, and I think that would also bring a lot more depth to the Eccleston doctor as well too, really, I think, because we would see why, you know, the Eccleston doctor is so hard, he's so dispassionate, he's so wary of friendships. Um, mm. And it, it, it would add a lot of depth to what was a very, um, I mean, many people call the Eccleston era the Eccleston months, because he really wasn't on our screen for very long. Mm, so mm. any chance to try and, I suppose, indirectly give Eccleston a little bit more depth, I think, would be welcome. And if we could somehow see how we ended up with the Ninth Doctor via the Eighth Doctor, um, I, I, I would find that fascinating. Yeah, and I think that's got to be the Holy Grail, really. Um, mm. I'm, I'm not mm. so sure. I mean, I think if they do make reference to the Time War, it won't be explicit because the, t- the whole concept of the Time War doesn't make a great deal of sense to anybody anyway. Um, no. But, but uh, the concept of the Eighth Doctor regenerating into the Ninth does. And that's something that is possible. It's possible to do. Paul McGann doesn't look a terrific amount older than he did in 1996 or, or 1995 when they filmed it. And stick a wig on, you know, give him some yeah. oil of Eule, take some of the wrinkles out. <laughs> and I, I think you've got a scene that will be so, so valued by fans. And probably even those people, you think of, I mean, um, people who watched Doctor Who in 1996, thinking this is, you know, <laughs> the second coming almost. It's, you know, the, the Messiah is returning, Doctor Who's coming back to the screens. I was about 20, well, I don't know, I don't know, I was 22, 23. I thought this was it. I thought Doctor Who was coming back. And I remember the feeling sitting down to watch the 96 movie. If if I get some kind of memory, a visual memory of what it was like to see Paul McGann on TV again now, it's going to be a mm. really big heart back just to 1996 for me. And, you know, it, I, I would welcome that over what might be a really clumsy story if they try and put new Doctors in yeah. black and white Doctor Who. So the more I'm talking about it with you, Trev, I'm kind of warming to the idea of doing something really good with the actors who are alive and, and who yes. look yes. like the Doctors they portrayed in their yeah. day. I think the best we can hope for, because I think any idea of seeing a Time War-centric arc or episode went the way of the Dodo once RTD left. Um, I, I don't think Stephen Moffat really wants to spend time going over that. No, I, I think you're right. Moffat seems to be moving further and further away from RTD storytelling techniques um, and and characters, really, uh, unless it's just to throw them in for a couple of minutes. You know, even things like um, the Silurians, which, of course, RTD didn't bring back, but in A Good Man Goes to War, they didn't play a huge part. They were just there. And um, I, I think if we do see something like... Uh, I don't know, a Jadoon again, then it will be as a fleeting cameo appearance only. But um, but there, there we are. That's that's our second um, little mini geek out, really, about the 50th anniversary and what might happen. And I have a feeling we'll be doing this time and time again oh, over the so, next 18 yes. months. <laughs> but I, I do think it's great. And, and listeners, please do keep your um, thoughts coming in. I mean, your hopes and your dreams. I mean, if you've got a really out there idea, then, then feel free to send that in. And Trev, Tom, and Lisa and I will be happy to deride it. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll certainly talk about anything that you send to us about the and, 50th uh, anniversary. And Stephen, Stephen if, if they ever ask for people who um, can provide voices for Big Finish, maybe they want to do a History of the Doctor Who Ooh, Producers yes. special or um, perhaps do like a video of the History of Doctor Who Producers, put your name forward for John Nathan Turner because your voice... <laughs> 
is a bang-on <laughs> replica for JNT, I tell you. If Big Finish needed John Nathan Turner sound alike, they should ring Stephen Burkett up and, and get him down to the Big Finish studios. Bang on. Our next bit of feedback is another bit of audio. This is Greg from Swansea. Hello to all at the Doctor Who podcast. This is Greg James from Swansea in the UK. I just wanted to say a big thank you for the Rob Shearman uh, episode. It was tremendous. James did a fantastic job and it really felt as if I was sitting in the living room by a warm crackling fire having a lovely conversation with the wonderfully talented Mr Shearman. You've been doing some fantastic podcasts lately. Thank you all to the team there. Best wishes, Greg. Well, thank you, Greg. Thank you. I, I'm really glad you enjoyed the, the Rob Shearman episode. Um, I, I know James had a lot of fun um, recording that with Rob and also putting it together for us. Um, it's a wonderful feeling when a lot of, I suppose, points in the universe come together at the right time. And uh, certainly Rob Shearman is one of those um, nexuses of the universe where just everything seemed to work. And uh, it, it, it was a really enjoyable interview. I totally agree. Yeah, it, it was an awful lot of fun. I mean, it's always fun interviewing these people. But Rob was a, was a particularly interesting and uh, funny man. And it was great just to sit down and um, spend some time talking to him. And we received lots of really positive feedback about that interview. So thank you very much indeed, everyone who's taken the time either to tweet your comments or just to drop me an email uh, to say how much you enjoyed it. And it, I think at the moment, it's an interesting time for the Doctor Who podcast, really, because as, as you know, we've expanded our cast, if you like, uh, fairly significantly this year. And judging by the feedback we're receiving... You seem to like the new format, so I'm I'm really really pleased. I mean, Trev, Tom, Leeson, and I have put a lot of work actually into planning um, what the Doctor Who podcast is actually going to sound like, and it's really encouraging just to get that positive feedback from you. Perhaps Trev, all the people who don't like it have just stopped listening. <laughs> you see, even me saying words like wibble, they are planned months in advance. We spend a lot of time deciding on every word that goes into this finely crafted, well-honed 45 minutes each week for you. And um, you don't realise the amount of effort that goes into this show. That's absolutely true. Trev does say wibble a lot. He does say wibble a lot. And he has pencils up his nose and he has a pair of underpants on his head. You try recording with that, guys. You try recording with that. I know. And, and we've got the webcam footage to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Greg, thank, thanks for your feedback, mate. I'll, I'll play your feedback over and over and over and over. I never get tired of people um, e- emailing in saying how fantastic I am. Um, please <laughs> keep it coming. Wibble. Thanks very much indeed, Greg. Thanks very much, Stephen, for sending in your audio feedback. Because uh, as we said many times in the past on the Doctor Who podcast, audio feedback will always get preference. Make sure you do keep it to under two minutes though um but having said that we have been receiving a terrific amount of emails as well and we're not going to be able to read them all out purely because there are so many of them and many of you have been sending us big long paragraphs so we would have to have an extra 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 long edition of the podcast to get through it all (laughs) but there is one particular email trev that i know you haven't read yet this is from melissa in ohio and i'm going to put my cards on the table now i'm going to say 
I don't know the answer to the question, Melissa asks us. And I'm also going to say, Trev, I don't think you're going to know the answer um, to the question Melissa asks us. A challenge. I I like a challenge. Let's go. Go for it. Here we go. I have just started listening to the podcast and think it's great. I have a question about Doctor Who you might be able to answer. I have a fuzzy memory of watching a classic episode from when I was a kid. There was an alien or man with a head that looked like a horse. That is all I can remember about it, except it was really creepy. Can you tell me which episode it was, or if it even happened? Well, could could she be talking about Horns of Daimon? Well, that was the only thing. That... Or could she be talking about the Time Monster? The Time Monster? Did, did, didn't that have a Minotaur thing in it? Oh, yes, it did. No, you're quite right. But that's a kind of bull thing, really. Um, It'd be really interesting, Melissa, to find out when you watch this episode because we'll be able to place it a little bit then uh, in in terms of when it was broadcast. Um, But certainly, just reading your message, Horns of Nyman came came to mind for me. I don't think there has been a particular episode yet featuring a horse monster unless of course you class warriors of the deep and the murka which was a pantomime <laughs> horse essentially um but the reason i read this out as i said I, I don't think we're going to be able to give you a definitive answer but listeners if you've got any idea what melissa could be thinking about what that memory might be what looks like a horse <laughs> in classic doctor who then send your emails into us at feedback at the doctor who podcast and we'll try and solve this little mystery I'm wondering whether she's seen the mind robber, which has a centaur in it. Oh, that's possible. No, no, you're not thinking of centaur. You're thinking of a unicorn. Oh, is that a unicorn? Is it unicorn is the one with the horn on on the horse's head? Yes. Yes. And there are some horses in the king's demon. (laughs) Demons. Demons. See, we could do this for ages. Our next piece of feedback is from Erica Dix, who is from Illinois in Chicago, which I believe is in the US of A. Am I right there, Trev? Uh, America is in the US of A. Yes, I believe. It's, it's, it's a very small town there, yes. Right, okay, that sounds good. Now, I seem to remember uh, a little while ago, Trev, you asked for um, the American perception of, of fandom and, and local fandom and what it's like following a, um, a fundamentally British um, program and uh, mm. Erica has written in and said living in Chicago Illinois I feel like Doctor Who is still under the radar for most of us I've got many of my friends to watch it and whilst I'm really get into it anyone less sci-fi inclined finds it confusing or silly overall I feel like this is the calm before the storm here more and more people are discovering Doctor Who and I get really excited whenever I see bow ties are cool or hello sweetie scratched into a desk at school Matt Smith seems to be the most accessible doctor for Americans, perhaps because he is funny and entertaining for the casual viewer to watch. Which is interesting, because I think it sounds like Erica is clearly still at school. If she's reading uh, graffiti on desks, you should be paying attention in your lessons, Erica. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think this is certainly interesting. And it's fascinating to hear that you feel Matt Smith is particularly accessible to Americans. Um, And I'm wondering if that's because Matt Smith's portrayal of the Doctor is seen as quintessentially British. And of course, most Americans seem to really like seeing the quaint Brit um, either feature in one of their American shows or, um, or in one of our own series. What do you think? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's as deep as that for me. I mean, we've, we've talked on the show before about how um, certainly the Matt Smith era of Doctor Who has been pushed a lot more heavily in the States. Hmm. Um, certainly. Is, is, is it Sci-Fi Channel over there that shows it or something like that? But, I um, think there's a couple of different channels. It still makes it onto PBS, yeah. the classic show. And, and, and I think even the, uh, the uh, Space Channel in Canada shows it now, I believe. Hmm. But I, I think it's because it's been pushed into the American audience's faces a lot more now. I mean, we've mentioned before about Matt Smith appearing on the side of uh, bus billboards and all the, all that sort of amazing stuff that we would never dream would ever happen for an American audience. I mean, we certainly don't even get that here in Australia. I suppose the new series is pushed a lot more to American audience because they're trying to break it over there. So hopefully that will have a bit of a knock-on effect to the classic series as well, and maybe that's what Erica is seeing with uh, you know people scratching stuff into uh, <laughs> um, school desks, which I didn't even think happened anymore. My goodness, it's wonderful to hear it's still happening. But hopefully that's what's happening now. People are getting into the, to the modern series and then going, hey, there's mm, a 26-year mm. classic series there to delve into. Now, I think you're still going to get a certain subset of fans that will look at the classic series in comparison to the new and go... This is a load of uh, wobbly set rubbish. But I think you'll have a lot more people that will watch the classic series and realise that, hey, there's a lot of fantastic stuff to watch here that is a, a wonderful companion to the you know, new series stuff. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested if Erica has seen any of the classic Who, like you say, because uh, she talks exclusively about the Matt Smith era and uh, how accessible he is. And I wonder whether it's acted as that feeder into the back catalogue of... Uh, the last 50 years worth of of Doctor Who. So yes, Erica, I'd be interested in um in hearing that. But there's there's one other thing that I wanted to um to mention in your message, and it kind of touches on what Trevor and I discussed um on the last episode of the DWP, and that's that fans appreciate Doctor Who in a different way depending on where they're based um worldwide. And I think the kind of things you mention here, where you see bow ties or call or hello sweetie, it's almost a secret code because the majority of people are not going to know what on earth those statements or those slogans are <laughs> referring to. Now, that's something, again, it's, it's probably true in Australia. It's certainly true in the UK. That's not going to happen again. It did happen, and it did happen between, well, I would say early 80s onwards. There was a certain code or was a certain thing uh, that you could tell about a Doctor Who's fan's sense of humour or the words that they use, and you think, hmm, yes, that's straight from one of Tom Baker's stories or something. Mm. Whereas now, if you start saying bow ties are cool over here at least, people will say, oh, yeah, Doctor Who, almost certainly. And I kind of miss it. I've got to be honest, I kind of miss it. It's, Doctor Who is mainstream now, and it's been, it's been said many, many times in the past. And that kind of does one or two things to fandom. It either makes people within it feel really really pleased that they're not alone anymore or isolated or they it pushes them further into geeky doctor who fandom because they want to have that additional level of knowledge that the general populace or the general viewership uh, doesn't have and uh, i think certainly with us trev um it's probably pushed us into the geeky corner even further well we are um two hosts of a weekly Doctor Who podcast, so I think that's pretty much a given. But uh, doesn't yeah. mean we know what we're talking about, though. As many well, of our true, listeners true, point true. out. True. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks. Brilliant piece of feedback there, Erica. Well, our next bit of feedback is all the way from China, and Linda sent us in a lovely email. Thank you, Linda. What she mentions here is, 
bring John Sim back and introduce a new master with four doctors in the same story. So basically a multi-master doctor story. Like the master said in the end of time part two, I wonder what he would be like without the drum beats. Heard the rumour that Benedict Cumberbatch is being lined up for the role as a new master. I do like him and love his performance in Sherlock. Not so sure that he's a good idea for both shows though. Anyway, keep up the good work. Lots of interesting thoughts there, I think. Um, I'm, I'm not sure um, Benedict would be a particularly good fit for the master. Um, I've, I've seen him in a few things apart from Sherlock. I, I saw him in uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy recently, actually. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure whether he would make a good master. So maybe my perception of what the master should be is a little bit different to what a modern Doctor Who fan thinks that you know the master should be like. But yeah, it, it might be a bit of oversaturation if um, he was involved with two high-profile series in high-profile roles, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got to be honest, I think it's quite a likely thing to happen. And we've already heard some of the season seven casting announcements from people who have already been in Sherlock. And I, I'm wondering... I'm wondering whether, as fans, we look at this we, we, purely because Stephen Moffat has a a leading role in both shows. Um, the person out there who switches on their television every night, who doesn't have a clue who the exec producers are, are they even going to associate the two shows in their minds? Um, and, and if that is the case, if that really is the case, then I see no reason as to why someone like Cumberbatch couldn't play the master. The, the thing that I think makes it unlikely is the fact that Cumberbatch is going places is already going to be um the new villain in the new Star Trek film I think you know people are saying mm. he's going to be cast as as Khan and I how easy is it going to be for the Doctor Who team to pull him back for however long it takes to record an episode of Doctor Who you know you, you'd assume that he's going to be a reoccurring villain you know you wouldn't want to have him as the master for one episode and never see him again uh, even though that's precisely what I would have liked in hindsight with John Sim um, but <laughs> w- what I would quite like to see yeah is is pretty much what um, Linda mentions is John Sim um, as the master but not as crazy. Take these drum beats out of his heads. You know, give him a kind of straighter role to play, so he isn't this crazy manic version mm. of the master. I mean, mm. I, I genuinely believe Russell T Davies had no idea how to bring the master back convincingly, because he thought if he'd have brought him back, pretty much like Roger Delgado or even Anthony Ainley had played uh, the master, then it would be far too similar to the way the Doctor, uh, to David Tennant plays the Doctor. And uh, there's two things for me. I'd like to see John Sim come back uh, in a completely different way and uh, and play the master convincingly. Or I'd like to see Derek Jacobi return. Uh, but the chances of that are even less, I think, than yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch exactly. being cast. It's a difficult sort of thing because we're sort of in the sort of definitely in the realm of ifs and maybes and buts and what ifs type of thing. But um, I'm not sure we'll see John Sims again in Doctor Who. Mm. Um, I, I think that's a bit of a pipe dream. I think if we ever get a master back, it's going to be a new master. It's going to be someone different. But I, I, I still think that Benedict is too high profile, that like you say, he, he is going places and he's just going to be out of the reach of Doctor Who, even though both shows share Stephen Moffat and presumably he would have some pull with Benedict to try and get him involved in Doctor Who. No, I think so. Uh, and I think Moffat would have a lot of say 
in it. It depends on what the relationship is like between Cumberbatch and uh, uh, Moffat. And when you think the thing that's made Cumberbatch is his casting as Sherlock by Mark Gatiss and uh, Stephen Moffat, then if they said to him, could you sign up for three episodes, then you never know, there might be a sense of obligation on Cumberbatch's part. I mean, I actually think he would portray quite a good master um, against Smith's manic, crazy doctor, because the, the roles would be reversed almost. You've got a very unpredictable, manic, zany doctor, uh, the way Matt Smith plays him. And I think a measured, calm version of the master, um, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, would work an absolute treat. And and bear in mind, Matt Smith was up for the part of Watson in Sherlock and didn't get it. It was Martin Freeman who got it because, allegedly, the two actors were too similar, Smith and Cumberbatch. So, you know, they might have some bearing on things. Well, thanks for sending in your feedback, everyone. We're, we're, we're sorry we can't get through the whole lot. I mean, there's some amazing stuff there, but, you know, we've only got a limited amount of space in each show to actually uh, get through it all. That doesn't mean you should stop sending it. Please keep sending it into feedback at thedoctorpodcast.com. Just to pick a few random names from the feedback we've received that we didn't have time, but we, we, we read them all. Don't worry about that. We've got people like Greg, we've got Luke, we've got Reed, Philip. Brian, and one from which is curiously called Toowoomba is how it's pronounced at hotmail.com. Um, thanks for that feedback. James wouldn't let me read that one because he thought it might scare me. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, I, I think we, you're mispronouncing that, Trev. Honestly, I really do. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners can fix us up for it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for all the feedback, uh, guys and gals. Keep sending it in. We, we love reading it. Absolutely. And we're going to be back in seven days' time. Well, actually, we're not, because Ian and Michelle are taking over the camper van next week, and they're going to be bringing you a rather interesting interview that Michelle managed to record with none other than Richard Franklin. Uh, so, hot off the hills of the Rob Shearman interview, you've got another one with a member of the unit family, no less. Yes, exciting stuff. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing that one. I know Michelle had a ball talking to... Uh... Richard when she was uh, at uh, Gallifrey in the last couple of weeks. Uh, jealous, jealous, jealous. Mm-hmm. So uh, please look out for that in your feeds uh, about the middle of next week. Mm. And after that, we'll be back all round about the 1st of April. Hmm. Now, why does that date ring bells for me? Do we do something special on the 1st of April? Oh, no, I you, can't you, remember. You've got bells ringing your head all the time, James. <laughs> They're more like drums, four knocks. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note... Ah, uh, boom, tish. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh dear, we do apologise. Lisa and Tom, I come know, back. All is forgiven. <laughs> That's it for another show, guys. Look forward to talking to you all very soon. We do Bye. indeed. Bye for now. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.